Welcome to the Red, White, and Blue Flags F1 Podcast. I'm Ryan Vasquez. And I'm Stephen McNally, and we are your home for F1 racing this side of the pond. And on today's show, our long international nightmare is over, at least for one week. Thank God. And Carlos Sainz plays a little maestro. Uh, also, Logan Sargent, get ready to learn Chinese, buddy. And... Me and Steven will debate if this was the race of the year. It's definitely high on my list, Steve. Well, I guess we have to start at the ending. Um, I think this was probably the best finish we had of the year. Uh, race of the year? I don't know. We got to look at, you know, uh, lights to flag. But definitely the most exciting last 20 laps, I think, so far this year. Definitely interesting strategy, you know, um you're trying to see if Carlos is going to be able to hold them off. You're going. You're trying to see if Lando's got a last little bit in him, and you're seeing the two Mercedes make a hard charge, right? And even to a lesser extent, although it didn't have a chance really on the outcome of the race, you're seeing Max Verstappen just eat up uh, track at an alarming rate um, as he's making his way through the course uh, at the end of the race. But uh, just lots of different outcomes i felt like for at least maybe three or four laps to go there was still a chance that we could have had anywhere between three and four different winners right um and the podium could have been in different ways and then it kind of you know went a little south there and it's unfortunate you know uh lament a little bit on lewis and i'll let you elaborate more but like it you just feel like there's some missed opportunities in there as well, while still being a fantastic race with the way everything finished, you know? Right. I, it was kind of stars aligning, giving us the, you know, circumstances for all this to kind of happen. You know, you, you needed uh, not just the one early safety car, but you needed the later, you know, virtual safety car to happen to give Mercedes the chance to put on you know the fresh set of medium tires the only team that had a second set of fresh medium tires and then you needed you know carlos to kind of dictate the pace of the race the entire time where they're trying to manage tire wear so they're nobody's really trying to pull away all race and then you need you know essentially to have the red bulls out of it uh through poor qualifying and getting kind of the worst luck of the safety cars you needed all these things to kind of get thrown together in a mixing bowl and what came out of it was you had four cars separated by two seconds for the last 10 laps of the race um you had lewis and george right out of the pit stop charging catching the top three cars by two seconds a lap you know they easily dispatch of charles who was kind of left hung out to drive by his team you know we can kind of debate whether or not he got sacrificed as mercedes insinuated that he was particularly Uh, george but yes particularly george right and then um you know they catch up to the top two and george essentially has eaten through his tires trying to catch up to them at that point and then has a, a lack of focus halfway through the last lap clips the wall breaks his suspension drives on straight and he's out and lewis is there to pick up the third place um but you know there, there was a couple of opportunities one george almost had the pass done on lando and if he gets by lando carlos is kind of hung out to drive by himself um but, you know, as we were watching the race together, as soon as Esteban Ocon retired, which is what caused the second safety car, pulls up to the side of the track right by the pit exit. I don't think there's any scenario where you don't get some kind of safety car there. And it ended up being a virtual safety car, not a full safety car. But it was going to be some kind of slowdown in the race. And I think... I said it in the moment. If you pull the trigger with Lewis right now or George, do something to split the strategy between the two. Lewis gets in there. He gets his stop done first. uh, Because essentially, 
the top four waited and went by the pit entry and had to come all the way around to make their stop. You know, uh, Carlos, Lando, and Charles didn't stop because they, they didn't have the fresh mediums to go on to and they wanted a whole track position. But the two marks double stacked with Lewis behind. So by the time they go back to racing, Lewis is already five seconds behind George, who's 15 seconds behind Charles. So, you know, you pull the trigger on Lewis immediately. He's already, you know, essentially going to undercut George and have that position. And then he can attack. And I don't know. He seemed much racier, like he had the better pace at the end of the race and the better tire management. Um, but, but again, you know, if, if he qualifies better on Saturday because George beat him in qualifying he's maybe not in that position to be the second car on Sunday again. So that's something he has to clean up. He, he's dominating his teammate on Sunday, uh, especially with George making the odd mistake here and there. But he's not putting himself in the best position by not getting the job done on Saturday. Yeah, I think this is the the issue. And, you you know, I will verify all of that. Me and Steve, we... we text back and forth between the race and we you know steve's lamenting and me and him were going back like what does who's going to come in here on this virtual safety car and 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 take advantage of this top six and you know you're thinking lewis who is in sixth would have the best opportunity to see everyone go by and you know figure out if he's going to slide in and that's kind of was his miss all week you know is that had he been the first car had he made that move had he been in front it would have been a different race, I think, for a lot of people, not just him. Uh, I think George doesn't crash, possibly, if that's the case. You never know. But um, it's just different. Lewis looked like he had more pace than George did after they stopped. And because George was in front, it was okay for a little while. And then George kind of lost that pace. And Lewis kept pushing. You're like, And he's like, you need to go faster. And you wish you had more time to swap them i don't know if they would have even if they got that close it's a little weird i mean i i feel like even if george got the call to switch them i i'm not sure george would have done that uh you know he not he don't think he'd volunteer the position to lewis i think he'd feel like no i've i've earned this third place um no i'm not going to hand it over to someone uh which you know down the road at this Mercedes car is competitive next year it might be the sign of some issues you know we've talked about teams kind of you know Red Bull there's there's no doubt who's the number one driver and if you have that question mark when it comes down to times like this where you have a race win on the line um, is it more beneficial to have a guy versus we're going to let him race to figure it out well, and you know, I, I think this is why we see Red Bull prefer a veteran driver to for Max at this stage in his career, because a veteran driver is not trying to prove anything per se, wants to win, can play the role. But if you got like a Liam Lawson next to him or, you know, like they tried with Albin and Gasly, those guys got the pressure to try to be as good as Max. And they're not going to be happy if they're playing second fiddle and they're pressing. They don't have the experience maybe in that situation to be a good teammate. And you've just seen it not kind of play out well. I, you know, it's going to be a little while, I think, in my opinion, before you see a young driver alongside Max Verstappen on that team. Uh you know, and that's just as you start looking to the next generation, right? But I, I think you got five or six years before you see a young driver next to Max. I really do. Um, and it's interesting because we see some of these teams here. Um, Piastri isn't quite pushing Lando just yet, but there is an age discrepancy there where you, uh, you know, would think that Piastri doesn't think he's that far, although Lando's been racing a long time and still very young. Um, but the Ferraris are close in age. And, you know, to my point, and I told you this on, on Sunday, Steve, it was for all everyone wants to anoint people like Charles and George as future winners 
and F1 uh, of the championship, I don't feel like a lot of people give Carlos Sainz any love in that conversation. Well, let's and talk about, you yeah. know, let's talk about Carlos. We've spoken a lot already about people who did not win the race. I think we owe a lot of time to the guy who pulled it off. Right. And I mean, that was one of the best races I've seen someone race. Not just skill on the track, but cerebrally playing the race the way he needed to. How often do you see a car engage a rival car to help them, but also help yourself? While you're trying to win a race, knowing that you have two cars chasing you down, right? Um, I've only seen it like when I watch uh, like YouTube channels of people who do like the F123, like online racing, when they're talking about okay, I'm gonna do this strategy where I'm gonna back up the field a little bit to to protect other people from jumping up, you know, behind me. You know, I'm gonna like tow this guy along, and it's gonna help me out. I have never seen someone try to use like a legit video game tactic in real life in in a street race going 200 miles an hour at night. Like I I can't process it in my mind. Um, trying to like connect those dots while you're like losing eight pounds of sweat, the streets flying by you at 200 miles an hour. And you're gonna you're gonna put together a game plan of how you're gonna put yourself in the best position to win the race. Yeah, it's just the only thing I can think of recently is um, the NASCAR driver who essentially rode the outside of the wall all the <laughs> way around because um, it worked on the video game and it worked in real life and uh, it was kind of crazy. But uh, this wasn't as crazy. This is more cerebral, like you know, employing a strategy. That seems counterintuitive, you know, if you can pull away from somebody, pull away from somebody, but um, it's just very smart in the moment knowing that Lando needs to have that extra few kilometers per hour to keep the two Mercedes at bay and essentially offer defense for Carlos. Um, And that was... 100 percent spot on and it doesn't hurt that he's very close and was former teammates with lando and also at the same time helps out his buddy uh secure second right so i uh just thought it was masterful uh hell of a race from him he's been the better driver this year in my opinion um and he wasn't all that much worse last year either you know you can you know you can sit there and make excuses for Charles, you can say he's more talented. You can say he pops more when his car is on. Um, but I don't think anyone's as competitive on the track as Carlos, really. And if he's got it all lined up, he's a monster. Yeah, I mean, you know, don't want to use the pun, but like, you know, he's found another gear. Uh, you know, uh, he outscored his teammate. I, I, I'm hesitant to, to say outperform. Um, but you know, points are points. He outscored his teammate in 2021 first year with the team. Uh, last year, you know, Charles certainly had a a hot start to the year when the Ferrari was really clicking. And, you know, we've spoken about Carlos making some costly mistakes that cost him, you know, not just points, but finishing races. And then, you know, hampered with Ferrari's reliability, uh, you know, finished further down than he would have, should have finished last year. But this year, uh, you know, certainly, consistently, the better driver of the team. Uh, you know, it, it's not even, you know, like okay, he's got some better race finishes that Charles doesn't have, and you know, Charles still gets the plaudits for being like the qualifying one lap ultimate pace guy nobody's faster in one lap than Charles Leclerc uh Carlos has as many poles as he does this year and he's got two on the bounce you know he he picked up pole in in Italy picked up pole here at Singapore and end up you know I I think leading every lap of the race and like I said just like a, a very kind of old school cerebral drive dictating the pace from the beginning he he was able to hold the lead into turn one 
and it was a you know it's a fast slow pace to the race uh, they were very cognizant about keeping the field close together so that uh, it nullified anybody who wanted to do a two-stop strategy like like Mercedes because if you keep the field close together and you want to go ahead and pit you don't have what what they call like field spread as the race goes on cars spread out a little bit but if you're keeping the the race pace slow all the cars are grouped together and even if you're in third place and you decide to pit early you're going to come out in 19th and have to fight through traffic and it's going to make the idea of doing two stops completely unappealing so they were protecting from that from the beginning and on top of the fact that Ferrari's typically terrible with their tire wear they had to also kind of maintain that pace so that they could make it to the end uh, so I mean two two hours of making all the right decisions is, is certainly not something we're used to saying with Ferrari but typically when Ferrari has good strategy it's coming from their drivers anyway um, so it was just you know kind of a god mode drive from Carlos where he didn't put a foot wrong led from the front, didn't make any mistakes, had the wherewithal to, you know, essentially pull a rear gunner along with him. It's like, listen, as, as long as Lando's close enough to me, they're going to have a hard time getting past Lando. If they can't get past Lando, they're not getting to me anyway. So this is my, my best chance to win. And I don't think he felt like he was under threat from Lando. Um, not because of like, oh, he's my friend. He's not going to pass me. He's like, if I need the extra pace, I can pull away from Lando if I need to. And at, and at one point he did, I think a little bit accidentally, when uh, George made his first move on Lando. And he kind of pulled back a little bit to make sure that Lando got back into his DRS. Uh, but just, you know, obviously Verstappen's been kind of flawless most of the year. But... Uh, Certainly, like if if Lewis or Max had done this drive, it'd be like, oh, this is this is the drive of a world champion. You know, this this is why this guy has you know X amount of trophies. Um, it was that level of you know uh, a competent drive. So I, I think just I, I know this isn't his first win, but this really feels like him like this is the first time he won and it didn't have to be some kind of uh you know result of jeopardy yeah this was probably one of his best drives if not his best drive it it showed like it was all coming together and you know this starts with everything like we we see this everything starts with like qualifying he qualifies where he does they do that double stack and because everyone's coming in on that pit and they had to hold for Mercedes uh, and Charles II that he gets screwed, right? You know, if Charles was first, he would have been okay. Now, I don't know if he has the same setup as Sainz, but Sainz definitely would struggle back there as much. Even if he had a slightly better car, he would probably still have lost his chance to win. So, you know, it's it's just interesting the way that plays out no matter what. And, and, you know, like Max's bad weekend started with bad qualifying. That team looked terrible. Um, uh, very, very un-Red Bull-like. Even in normal... Uh, I can't imagine Red Bull having that bad of a run in a couple of years at this point. Uh, and qualifying. Just terrible no good. And, so, let, you know, uh, let's talk about why Red Bull might have looked so bad. Uh, you know, there, there was a couple of... You know, mid-season technical directives that came out that wanted to address um, flexible, you know, wings, either front or rear, front or rear wings, where uh, you know Red Bull will always try to find, you know, some gray areas in the rules. It's kind of you know, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Um, but uh, it seems like that technical directive didn't exactly or wasn't exactly the reason why the Red Bull looked a little bit nerfed. It, I think it came down more to their inability to run the car as low as they would like. They, they typically run it lower than anyone, but uh, Singapore is an extremely bumpy circuit. 
and I think that kind of messed with their ability to set the car up in the right window. Um, if they can't ride, ride it as low, the front end is a little bit um, lighter and it doesn't bite, and that's something Max you know, loves in his setup, the ability to really turn in the front end and get it to bite, and that wasn't there. And, you know, the the ability to get the tires heated up into the window, that, that was all affected by the ride height. And that left him nowhere in qualifying. You know, neither of them made Q3. And, you know, uh, Sergio ended up uh, qualifying 13th, and Max ended up qualifying 11th. And, you know, not, not even a good-looking 11th. And nobody was happy. And, you know, it, it for the first time kind of felt like maybe they're not even going to cut through the field like they would before where, like, okay, they took an engine penalty, they're starting 15th, Max is going to be in first by 15 laps. Um, it really seemed like, you know, they were going to be out of competition. And, I, you know, I, I don't think it's due to the new technical directive because I... I feel like it's just this circumstance with this track, and then next week in Suzuka, Max will end up winning by 45 seconds because he'll be so pissed off that he wants to dunk on the entire field. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's 100% fair. You know, a lot of things went into this bad race. It's it's the setup doesn't work, right? Uh, bad qualifying sets you back. A bad day sent you back. In fact, if it could have been much worse, Steve. I mean, like, three very bad incidents in my opinion and for most other drivers would have gotten at least the penalty he got reprimanded for um and didn't get any pen- and penalties and so he, Two he could have been in, yeah uh he could have been uh set back a little bit more so and had to even more to overcome should have been. um but but again he goes still this red bull found its pace right um this Red Bull, once it makes the change in tires to the mediums and has some space, starts eating up track at a remarkable pace. Like f- five laps, I think he covered 13 seconds. And it was just killer, just chewing it, right? And put himself in position to take advantage of a top five finish, essentially. Um, and, you know, it's... It's look, it's a phenomenal car still, but it was nice that all the things came together and you know, the best that Red Bull could pull off with Max was a five. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we we looked up with twenty laps left after they pitted and it's like Red Bull's fifteenth and seventeenth, like oh my god. Like I obviously they, they started on the hard tire expecting to, you know, maybe go long and then everyone else got gifted the safety car when, you know, Logan went headfirst into the barriers. So it was the perfect time for literally anyone who didn't start on the hard tires. Um, so that, that was a wrench thrown into Red Bull strategy, but like I said, uh, you know, they put on the medium tires and Max comes out in clear air. The car is burned through a lot of fuel. So it's lighter. He's on fresh mediums. And now he's just, you know, kind, kind of off the leash and taken off. Now, uh, he did get helped by, you know, Esteban Alcon retiring, and that was a free position. And then, you know, Valtteri retired for the car being overheating. And then, you know, George crashed and was out. So he did pick up a couple of free positions in there. Um, and,. You know, by the end of the race, he was only a, a quarter of a second behind Leclerc for fourth. So, you know, it's in a way, it's kind of good that the championship is all essentially wrapped up because if if there was still, you know, a, another team that was close to winning, uh, or only a couple points separating Max and and another driver, that you know, you think, oh, I'm getting a bunch of points on Max today. And then you look back and it's like, oh my God, he's fifth. And it was the same thing that happened in Russia in 2021 between, you know, Max and Lewis. And I always go back to that race. You know, the championship ended and it was only an eight point difference between them. And obviously, 
you know, you, you look at all the things that happen between, you know, them colliding at Silverstone and Max goes out and Lewis wins or, you know, Max crashes in Baku and then Lewis is leading the restart, but then he goes straight on with a, you know, with a, a break issue and scores no points. And then in Italy, they both crash and take each other out. Like all these instances of like lost points between them. But I always go back to Russia where, you know, Max took a, a penalty uh, an engine penalty of that race started back, didn't make a lot of progress. Lewis is running second behind Lando, and then the skies open up. And because Max was so far back, he was able to be one of the first people to uh, stop and go on intermediate tires and kind of like jump a bunch of people. Lando didn't stop, obviously, unfortunately, kind of threw away his first win. Lewis, being in second, was able to respond, and he ended up winning. And in that moment, Lewis is like, I, I just picked up a race win and Max was all the way back there. And I turn around and then Max is pulling into the P2 spot in Park Ferme because Max came all the way back up to second. So you're thinking, I'm, I'm going to pull a, a 15 point deficit to Max. And then it turns out to only be seven points. And then the, the, the championship came down to eight at the end. You know, it was just, uh, you know, it, if the rain never fell, like I always said, it, it was better if Lewis finished second instead of winning that race. If the rain never fell, Lewis would have picked up 18 points for second. Max would have probably ended up with, you know, four points in eighth place. And then, you know, that's a 14 point deficit right there and would have been enough even with the shenanigans at Abu Dhabi that Lewis would have won. Oh, there would have been no shenanigans in Abu Dhabi, I guarantee you. <laughs> um, anyhow, yeah, well, let's not get into conspiracies. But, like, this is the the thing for me, right? Every race counts, right? Like, it's what you do on the days where you're not good that makes a difference in a championship season. That's incredibly true in other sports like NASCAR, right? Where, you know, getting back out there and trying to get the most <laughs> points possible is important even if you if you, even if you're driving with no hood and you got your whole left side taped together and you don't even look like the car you showed up with getting out there and getting as many points as possible may make the difference later i mean we've literally seen, the best yeah. thing about nascar it's like yeah i flipped my car like dale and her yeah i flipped it and like hey is, is, is that thing still turn over get get out of here give me back in that car I, you know what's funny is that i i don't know it's, I've seen it a few times where I know cars have taken damage in F1 and it doesn't seem to hurt their pace. But like in NASCAR, you can actually take some damage and it's like that thing's still running pretty good. You're like, what? <laughs> How? It's got a hole and uh, like its side. It's like, no, it's, it's actually more aerodynamic now. How? I don't know. But in, 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 that's the thing. Like I, there have been championship winners in the highest division of NASCAR who didn't win a race. It's how you performed week to week and were consistent in getting those points when they mattered when other teams were missing out. And so that's the thing today. Like, you know, it doesn't quite matter for Max, but if this was a closer, as you mentioned, if this was a closer race, this would have been a, you know, one of those championship winning races for Max that he didn't even podium because of what he was able to salvage. Right? Yeah. And unfortunately, that's, that's ominous for everyone else where you feel like, this is the worst this team has ever looked in in 18 months and that means they almost got fourth place like oh my god like literally like they had to have a terrible qualifying and a strategy that didn't work in their favor and all these things and they still almost you know were essentially maybe two laps away from picking up a podium true i mean some luck again some luck falls in there as well you know only 19 cars start. You're already ahead there. You're not going to be last, even if you, you know. And, and then cars get, you know, uh, in some trouble here and there, as you mentioned. So, you know, maybe it wouldn't have been almost fourth. Maybe it would have been almost fifth or sixth, uh, having to whittle his way through people or whatever. You know, and obviously, had George not crashed, he would have obviously been sixth, right? Because he was never going to catch George. Uh, it makes no difference, right? So that's definitely one he got because of, you know, luck at the end of the race, right? Um, 
so yeah you know as I I'm a journalist I've told people many times here I did a interview with candidates during the 2008 election in Alabama and I wished one of the candidates good luck he was running for Congress and you know just a nice thing to say I didn't care who won but good luck in your race and he says thank you I'll take that I'm like I look back at him and I said why he says he goes I'd rather be lucky than good and you know it, sometimes that that happens in racing too well I mean that it's essentially what you know Carlos and Lando and you know both Mercedes um, you, you know we're looking at you know it's like was it luck or is it when preparation meets opportunity you know they they prepared for you know getting the maximum amount of points they could the opportunity presented itself that the red bulls weren't in it so is it lucky that carlos won uh no like you you got to be prepared for the moment and capitalize on it right and then it's the 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 definition of luck as also told to me by somebody else it's preparation meeting opportunity right and uh, opportunities arose multiple times throughout the race and the preparation of certain drivers helped them take advantage of those opportunities to have good luck on that day right uh, and so you know I we could go through the field and tag a few other people who had some maybe good luck but also had some good performance um, well, incredibly let, yeah go ahead no let, let's you know uh, talked about how you know Max gained a couple of positions, uh, you know, and how he kind of got away in qualifying without, you know, basically a slap on the wrist. But his teammate also gained a couple of positions in, uh, let's say, less than savory ways and and handed out bad luck. Uh, Sergio was just, I guess, kind of interested in playing bumper cars on Sunday. Uh, Yeah, and... and, uh you know, a couple of incidents in race that he didn't get in any trouble with no. and had the gall to get angry at Lewis when he passed him and not giving back. And he's like, that should be looked at. That shouldn't happen. You, you crashing Yuki shouldn't happen either. I mean, let's call a spade a spade, right? At that point. Uh, so, and I just find it remarkable. Uh, I believe Lewis was the only person who really kind of defended Checo this week when Helmet made a few uh, unsavory remarks about Checo. Um, or right. at least, like, and, you know. Ge- geographically poor racist remarks. You know. Yes. Like, uh, ignorant. And I, again, I, don't, I hate to say it, old white men or old white European men who have the microphones in front of them all the time uh, are going to say stupid things. Uh, if you don't know this, if you're not personally close to some old white men or old white European men, they're going to. Um, uh, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, but you know, just just a week of essentially you know reprimands for like Helmut Marco. We're going to reprimand him for his remarks. Lewis stops in the pit lane. He impedes drivers. We're going to give him a couple of reprimands. Sergio takes out Yuki on the first lap. Takes out Alex in the points with a couple of laps left, you know, dives in there and, and, you know, takes him out and Alex misses out on points and, uh, no, I, I haven't seen it come across with like any reprimands or any, you know, points essentially, you know, put on his license or anything seems to be a lap lack of repercussions there. So on, on three levels of the Red Bull team, you know, whether it's, you know uh, the budget cap skating through there with kind of a slap on the wrist, or you know it just seems to be the aura around the team. I don't want to hate on a team for the sake of hating on them or you know beat a dead horse, but you know it's a little more than coincidental sometimes. Well, and it's like the New England Patriots in the NFL. It, it always seems like they get away with something. They also happen to be good, but it's like, do they also need to get away with things? Yeah. <laughs> and in this instance, like for me, conspiratorially, I'm thinking, okay, Yuki's negotiating what his seat is next week or next year, right? It's at that time in the season where you'd like to be locked up. 
especially with someone on your team who's really making the charge and you know the seats are running out. And you know they're probably going to keep Danny around. So you're fighting not for two seats on your team, but the one that you have. And you keep getting into trouble with Red Bulls, the big team. And you're like, hmm, maybe if I don't make a big deal about this, I get to keep my job. They can't be like, well, we'll just swap you out with Liam if you don't like it. And so, just oddities, right? I don't think I've ever seen a car or a, a team not show up for one of those meetings about the on-track incidents. Yeah, uh, it was definitely... Like AlphaTauri failed to do for that one with Yuki. That, like, oh... Is that what's that like? It's like like it's like witness tampering. It's like I, I don't. It's it's like, uh it feels hinky to me. I'm sorry. Right. Why would so, you not show up? What one of the cars that Max impeded was Yuki during qualifying. So it goes to the stewards and you have the chance of like, you know, to tell your side. And both sides show up, but nobody for Alpha Tower showed up. You know whether that was they decided not to show up and they didn't want to fight it at the behest of the Big Brother team or. I've heard like, oh, well, they got the invite sent through WhatsApp and they didn't see the invite. Like, why, why are we sending official invites to the stewards through WhatsApp? Like, that that doesn't seem like the proper course of action. Like, it, it just, you can't have it be bad optics, right? Even if it is, uh, you know, essentially... Um, you know, it's innocent and you, oh, you know, it, it doesn't actually look as bad as it is, but if it smells bad, then it is bad. So the optics have to be on point, especially on a team that has like a, a track record like this, especially when you are the only people who are operating essentially with a B team and get to run essentially four cars on a weekend. It's, it's a messy relationship when you're a, 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 another, like a third competitive team, you know, when you're Mercedes or Alpine or Alfa Romeo, it, it's an unsavory look to have Red Bull and then this other team where they kind of dictate a lot of what goes on. Uh, so when, when it comes down to how things are going to be adjudicated, you know, follow it to the letter of the law. So there's no, you know, gray area that people can latch onto and say like, this is impropriety. Yeah. Again, it's just, there's always smoke and it feels like Red Bull doesn't care. Like they don't care what the optics look like. And when you don't care what the optics look like, it makes me feel like you don't care for a reason because you know, it doesn't matter because no one's going to punish you. And that's kind of sucky. I'm sorry. And uh, they get to operate pretty much as a four-car team out there. I feel like it's a huge benefit to them already, but whatever. Um, it is what it is. Other teams do take advantage of certain relationships uh, with other teams. But I don't know. It just makes me a little frustrated. But the, the one thing that I can say that I was celebrating about the AlphaTauri and Red Bull teams this weekend was the performance of Liam Lawson. Um, uh, and even Red Bull could, could, in their evil empire ways, could go over there and appreciate the drive that Liam did. A, a big story post-race was that a lot of Red Bull folks were talking up Liam, Liam and actually met him outside. Um, of the trailer and congratulating him. And that's, uh, it was a nice drive for the young New Zealander. So it puts uh, Red Bull slash Alpha Towery in a really interesting position. You know, uh, Liam has stepped in third race. He picks up his first points in the first time he's ever raced in Singapore and uh, notoriously difficult track in difficult conditions because it's even though it's a night race it's the hottest race of the year uh the most physically demanding race in a track he doesn't know and scores points and you know did 
couple of people retire in front of them. Yeah, but you know what? That, that's part and parcel of what the sport is. You have to keep your own nose clean, and, you know, first you have to finish, as, as well, they right. say. If, if Max is going to be given, you know, all the kudos for salvaging a race and getting fifth, uh, and, you know, and you're not going to say, well, he had those other opportunities where cars, you know, whatever, uh, you can't say the same thing about Liam. Yeah. So I think it, no different the, from them. Know, right, exactly. So and now uh, Red Bull has, you know, more drivers than seats again. You know, Liam's right. only here because, you know, Danny unfortunately broke his hand and Danny's only here because Nick DeVries did not pan out. Um, but, you know, they have Yuki, they have Danny, they have Liam right now in the you know, Alpha Towery sphere and then, you know, Max and Checo at Red Bull. And, you know, the only person you're assured is going to be in position is Max. There is, you know, rumblings in the ether that Alpha Towery will end up being Yuki and Danny, which, you know, leaves Liam out. And, you know, I said it to you in text. I, I feel like right now, Liam probably deserves a seat more than Danny. And that comes from someone who absolutely loves Danny Ricardo. And, right, me too. Um, you know, would like nothing more than to see Danny have a full-time race seat. But you look at somebody who's, you know, 33 and was out of a job versus someone who's 21 and has stepped in and not missed a beat and has got the best finish for the team so far. You know, Yuki's best finish was 10th. Liam's now finished 9th. Liam has put in better performances in the three races he's been on the team. He's qualified as well, if not better. You know, it's not Yuki's fault that he didn't get to start, you know, the Italian Grand Prix. It's not 100% Yuki's fault that Sergio ran into the side of him lap one. Um, But unfortunately, that's just going to get kind of stacked onto his resume. And... It doesn't bode well at the fact that in the last two races, Danny's missed it with a you know broken hand. Yuki's been on the team and he's only completed half a lap more than Danny has, which was zero. So, uh, essentially, you could have replaced Yuki with Danny with one hand, and there would have been no difference in the last two races. So I'd hate to see Liam be the odd man out, but I, I know teams are probably a little bit. Uh, gun shy after Nick DeVries last year who stepped into Williams for one race scored a nice uh, a ninth place finish and got points on his debut and that was enough to convince Alpha Tauri at least to give him a full time race seat and now it looks like the roles might be reversed because the only opening seemingly right now for 2024 is going to be poor Logan Sargent seat um He's been he's been tasked with picking up the pace and getting better, and in doing so, he ended up you know crashing in this race. Um, still ended up finishing 14th. It was a halfway decent recovery, with what I'm sure was still a, a damaged floor of the car because he drove an entire lap on top of his wing. Um, but sadly, I think he needs to start lining up prospects somewhere else for 2024. Yeah, and that's unfortunate. And, you know, there's a few other drivers still in the mix, too. We're not even talking about all the ones that are in the space. You know, Mick Schumacher is supposedly in line here if Toto has his say to maybe get a shot. But it's looking like he won't be up for a seat this year. He'll uh, do some all other racing and still remain a reserve. Um, and so, okay, that opens up some avenues uh, for Liam. But the only position right now is is that William seat. And this is the thing, you know, everyone, as you mentioned, Nick essentially gets a job off of his one race in Monza. But this is going to be a four race audition, increased pace every time at some incredibly hard tracks under some interesting conditions. And if he does as good or the same, as good or better in Japan, to have a four race like tryout and not get it and not get a seat next year just shows you why F1 
is so frustrating, especially as people are trying to add teams to this sport and they seem to be a little slow in doing so. It looks like we're eventually might get there. It's just, it takes so long. But I am just flabbergasted that if that's the case, what you said, that gun shyness over the Nick DeVries experiment is going to cost someone like Liam, that's a damn shame. Right. I mean, Liam just out-qualified Max Verstappen. Like, facts are facts. He, out, yeah, he out-qualified. Knocked him, knocked him out of Q3. Uh, and... You know, I like you said. You we we talked about you know the Nick DeVries situation before we came on. Like, it's it's different. Nick is twenty eight. You know, he, he took forever for him to get a shot because people weren't convinced, even though he won on multiple levels. Liam Lawson's twenty two, or, or excuse me, I think he's uh, twenty one. Um, I mean, he he will be twenty two by the time next year comes around. But you know, seven years younger, and already showing more talent than Nick DeVries has, at least at this level in, you know, you know, it, it is the same car. Liam is in a car with more upgrades than Nick has, even in more upgrades than what Danny was driving with. Cause they just brought in a, a whole new package. Um, but it's, you know, same team, same car. Liam's the one getting the performances in. I, if I'm at Williams and I've got a 22 year old Logan Sargent who has gotten like a, a longer audition, nearly a full year. And you can see what the car can do with Alex Albon. I think it's an upgrade to put Liam Lawson in that seat. You know, my, my thought or my, my best case scenario is, you know, Danny and Liam are the two alpha tower drivers for next year. Sergio probably stays as Max's teammate. Yuki is the reserve driver, which is probably not something he wants to do. Um, you know, Mick doesn't seem like he's going to get in anywhere. Like you said, he's going to do the uh, reserve driver role plus do the um, World Endurance Championship, which is, you know, what Stoffel Van Dorn and Felipe Drogovic and Antonio Giovinazzi are essentially doing right now, being reserve drivers. And, you know, Antonio just won Lawn. So, you know, that's not, you know, a, a terrible consolation prize. But, uh, you know, I think Yuki may have to sit in that reserve driver role the and the next best opportunity when Aston Martin changes over from a certain Mercedes powered engine to Honda powered engines because Yuki has such a strong relationship with Honda that might be his best case scenario but again you've got the son of the owner and you know Fernando Alonso like I, but I I'd have to make the case that Stroll does not deserve a seat you know, he's, he's only picked up three points in the last six races and he completely destroyed the car in qualifying. And that was a, a, a million and a half dollar accident and crashed so hard he couldn't race the next day. Um, yeah, I guess if you're going to have people cost you money, it might as well be your own children. Yeah, right? but it's, it's like it, it's it's not it like I said, ultimately, it's not fair. You know, it should be someone better than Stroll in that seat. Because he, he has gotten completely beat down by, yeah, yeah, a superior driver and his teammate, but to be that far off. And now it's going to essentially cost Aston Martin fourth place because McLaren continues to improve. And now they're only racing against one car because Fernando's the only one who's putting up any kind of fight. And the car hasn't been as good in the second half of the year. Fernando doesn't score any points this week. Stroll was probably never even going to challenge for any points. Um, you know, so yeah, it's not fair that Stroll has the seat and, you know, Yuki for, you know, everything he's kind of, you know, worked on and improved on. Is he still worthy of getting more time in there? He's obviously still very young and very talented and he's only 23. Um, but, you know, like, like I said, I, I, I would completely understand if it's Danny who got left out, but I think he's so valuable to the team off the track and everything he brings in that case. And they know he's still a capable driver that he'll probably keep his position. I just, it's a shame for either Liam or Yuki to be left out. And this is the thing. Look, look, Lance Stroll, 
is deserving of maybe being a top 20 driver under most circumstances, even if he wasn't someone's kid. But, uh, you know, he's still one of the better drivers in the world, if you want to call it that way, you know. But there's only 20 spots, right? And he is 24 now. He'll be 25 in October. So he's still young-ish, you know. But I'm looking at these uh, records for him, right? When, two questions for you, Steve. When has Lance Stroll ever been the best driver on his team in all of his time in Formula One to this <laughs> point? Which is, what, uh, about seven seasons, eight seasons? And what do you think his highest finish in Formula One has been? Well, I mean, he, he's picked up a couple of podiums, the odd podium. So, like, individual race finish, I think, is, like, third. But uh, I'm talking about final driver standing. Oh, I don't think he's he's ever finished in the top ten. Um, plus, I, I think, like, when he's been the better driver on the team, I, I think that's happened, like, essentially a couple times. But that's because he's had, uh, you know, like, Sergey Sorotkin... Um, and uh, Robert Kubica post rally crash, not you know young strong Robert Kubica, but you right. know after after he destroyed his arm essentially, um, you know he hasn't had you know like strong driver pairings. So I I think there's been times where he's gotten more points than his teammate. We'll say that, but I don't. Yeah, like he hasn't been wowing anybody like a, 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 a Charles Leclerc, George Russell, like, you know, the young drivers really shine has not been Lance Stroll. Right. And, you know, we would say maybe the best year is that, you know, in that pink Mercedes, right? You know, that you remember, hey, that team's good, right? He's got a couple of podiums that year. And a so, poll. And a poll. If this holds... If he doesn't move anywhere in the standings this year, this will be his best finish in the driver standings in his career, ninth, and which he currently is. And we don't think Lance Stroll is driven worth a damn this year. No, and you got to think Oscar is going to catch him. You know the the way that the you know, the McLaren's been getting better. He's only five points off of Stroll. Uh, you know, Gasly's only two points behind him. You you got to think that either one of them or both catch him anyway and knock him out of the top 10. Right. So to me, it's like, okay, you have a very mid driver right now who hasn't really shown improvement in a car that is theoretically designed to be improved. I know Fernando is annoyed with the performance of this team, but when this team was locked in early in the season, Lance Stroll didn't seem to benefit much from being locked in. Um, And so, Yeah, that's what's frustrating to me. So I'm like, okay, if you're going to let it be that Lance Stroll is allowed to have a job until his dad decides he doesn't, then can we have a few more spots on the grid so drivers who deserve to drive can actually have a shot? Yeah, like we we need to get an Andretti team in there. I mean, whether or not, you know, like if Andretti shows up on the grid next year, which which won't happen, but like if, if they do... Like, is it Yuki and Liam Lawson they're taking anyway, or are they going to look for, you know, other talent who's in IndyCar right now? Are they trying to get in another American in and, like, grabbing Colton Herta? Um, you yeah, know? There, there are probably, like, eight drivers out there, I would say, who you could take a dart throw and say you should have a ride that may not have the opportunity to now. Those include Stoffel. Those include Drugovich. Those include Mick. They also include uh, a few of the boys over in IndyCar, right? Um, and, you know, it, so there's probably at least a... There's probably 20 drivers out there, see? That, this might be a little much, but there's probably 20 drivers out there who you could legitimately give a shot on the grid. Uh, well, yeah, that and like you said, that's not even talking about, uh, you, you know, the uh, the Formula 2 champion, Teo Porcher. You know, it's right. like a, a, another year where, like, the Formula 2 champion uh, doesn't make that leap into uh, Formula 1. You know, Felipe Drogovic was the champion last year. Oscar Piastri was it in 2021. It took him an additional, 
you know, uh, two years to hop in, right, from 2021 to now 2023. Uh, you know, Mick did make the leap, but, you know, are, are we going to say it might have been a little bit too early based on his performance or the fact that he got saddled with Haas and, you know, he had to drive Haas's for two years? Um, I'd almost, uh, it's weird, but, like, some sort of automatic qualifier, like, if you win Formula 2, you should get a shot. Or if, like, F1 ran a team, you know, kind of like when the NBA ran the Hornets, um, <laughs> and, like, you get up for two years, but you can't stay forever. Like, you can't hold down a spot. You might, like, one or two years, and you've got to get on another team. It's it, it's kind of like one of those, like, it's the, it's an incubator team. You know what I mean? It gives you a chance to prove yourself, right? Um, Maybe you do it like, uh, you know, the Premier League, and you have relegation. You know, if, if you're an F2 champion, you can't come back in and race F2. So, like, you know, that throws a little bit of a wrench in it. But it's like, you know, maybe if you're the bottom three drivers, you have to drop down into F2. And then the top three F2 drivers get promoted. Um, I don't see a scenario where that happens because money plays such a crucial role into who gets the opportunity to race. Uh, but certainly there there has to be something where... Like, if you're the winner of F2, you at least deserve a cup of coffee, come up and, and, and give it a shot. Um, you know, not not every opportunity is the same. And, you know, not everyone gets to step into, you know, uh, Lewis Hamilton got to step into a McLaren, a good McLaren, for his first year in F1 and nearly won the championship. You know, it's not the same like, you know, Danny Ricardo, who was a Red Bull driver at the time, had to start his first year in, in the Hispania, the HRT racing team, which was, you know, cobbled together with a couple of paper clips and shoelaces as far as a racing team is concerned. Um, you know, not everyone gets the same chance to compete, even though you're in Formula One. Yeah, I mean, uh, we see this again. Uh, we have a lot of Ryan sports analogies from America, but uh, you can be drafted in the first round of a lot of sports, not just like the NFL or anything like that, especially if you're a quarterback. We'll say these guys are quarterbacks. Everyone's like a franchise quarterback in, in F1. You can have a franchise quarterback go to a bad fit, bad team, not a successful team, and everyone's like, why didn't that guy make it? And you have a guy who maybe not as like slam dunk goes to the right situation, has a fantastic career. We see it all the time too. Notably, Tom Brady, a guy that no one was going to willing to draft in the first few rounds, ends up getting the chance to play, becomes the greatest football player of all time. It's hard as for me to say that because I hate the Patriots, <laughs> but he is. You just look at his record; he is. But the right situation, and some, Sometimes too. you're David Carr and you get sacked more than any human alive. Right. And, uh, you know, you're a first-round pick, top-notch talent, and people are like, you are a bust. No, am I a bust because I didn't perform or am I a bust because I'm afraid that someone's going to murder me because my O-line's trash? Yeah. You, know, you want to talk about busts, let's go talk about Jamarcus Russell, okay? I'm no Jamarcus Russell. Well, no, yeah. And, then you know, there's always those situations where there's that, too. People also, you know, hamstring their own opportunities. But, you know, uh, here at F1, I feel like it's just incredibly frustrating uh, that, like, a lot of times your best chances to break into the sport are on really bad teams. And through no fault of your own sometimes, you lose your shot because you weren't a phenomenal enough driver to take a trash car and make it points worthy. You know what I mean? It's all part of the game. Right. Fortunately, you know, it's, it's uh, one of those sports where you don't have like, obviously, you know, backtrack that comment slightly. There, there's more measurables and metrics in formula one than a lot of sports. But when it comes down to the person, you know, it's like I'm evaluating quarterback. Like we need to start at 6'4", 220, and then you know evaluate arm strength and all these other things. Like we have KPIs that we're looking at. Um, 
or wide receiver we're looking at a 40 time and reach and everything it, you know you can't measure a driver uh, objectively outside of the car you know it's like it doesn't matter how tall you are or, you know it's how do you handle the machinery and I think that's very unique to this sport and uh, I love it because of that and again uh, what says privileged uh, family racing than someone like Lance Stroll thinking maybe I'll just play tennis instead and switch my career and, and um, thinking he can make a real goal of it too it's like you know I'm just going to switch and be really good at professional tennis I mean I, I think he was a pretty good tennis player when he was in his youth um, but yeah uh, Ben Shelton uh, I don't know if he is I have to throw a, a fellow Gator out there but there are just so many interesting things when it comes down to the makeup of what the season is going to look like. And for the most part, we are set. We, we were, we're very close, Steve, on knowing what 2024 is going to look like. Um, and I hate to say that there's a driver or two who are going to probably be unceremoniously chucked off to the side while certain drivers are allowed to keep driving. Yeah, I mean, so long as there's only 20 seats, you know, somebody we like is going to be left out. Um, Very true. Certainly somebody deserving is going to be left out. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I I think it's a a good place for us to wrap up on the Singapore Grand Prix. If you're a fan of Haas, I'm sorry we didn't talk about them scoring points. (laughs) They're like uh, Matt Damon uh, <laughs> on the Jimmy Kimmel show. We didn't have time to get to them. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, he goes, maybe next time. Um, you know, shout out to Pierre Gasly with a strong sixth place finish. I, I feel like that was, you know, somewhat noteworthy for him having, uh, you know, picked up the pieces of some unevenness to his form between, you know, retiring and not finishing well. And then, hey, I'm, I got a podium and then. You know, right back to being at the bottom of the field, and like, hey, I picked up six. That's a it's a nice solid eight points. Um, but I I think we we turn our sights to Suzuka in the land of the rising sun. Uh, probably my favorite racetrack. We talked about it between Suzuka and Spa. Um, we looked for the uh, the Empire to be striking back. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> The evil empire to be striking back. Uh, it's it's a it's a good track for them typically, and I think they're just going to be so stuck up their own ass to just I don't know make make a, more of a statement that they already have for the entire year, but just knowing that everyone got a good laugh at them this week and they were all pretty miserable that uh, Max is going to get pulled by a second and a half, and then he's going to lap everybody on the field. Uh, so it's it's going to be back to regularly scheduled programming of, man. Can you imagine if Max wasn't winning, how good the race would be? Well, we know because this week was pretty great. Yeah, it's nice that we got this one version of it. I'm glad somebody other than a Red Bull was able to win. It was interesting. A lot of things happened. I think Mick Schumacher, uh, you know, can probably smile a little bit. His his dad gets to keep that record of uh, never. Um, of uh, podying every race during a yep. season that Max now misses um, and consecutive podium finishes, <laughs> I think, uh, got knocked off here too. So, I mean, like, it's interesting. It's interesting how this, like, this well-placed Singapore race kind of can throw a little salt on the historicalness of Max's season, but he's still going to have a monster season, uh, still going to win by a large margin and be celebrated as, uh, you know, all-time uh, great time champion you know yeah one of my favorite memes that were popping up over the course of the week was you know like, like a, a picture of somebody sleeping sound and it's like how nico hulkenberg sleeps knowing that max will never match his record of most race starts without a podium <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a good one too that, that's one and, max know, will never get and one thing we didn't even mention in all this and we'll end on this is Seb saying this week that he's like, I'll never rule out coming back. So you have someone like Seb who could 
do the Fernando Alonso thing once he decides he wants to come back. And someone would give him a seat over, say, Liam Lawson. And that's the absurdity, somewhat, of F1. And yeah. of course, we are... You know, you Seb, know. Seb, Seb will be in uh, Japan for the race weekend this week doing his best Wicker Man impression. <laughs> the bees! <laughs> Not the bees! He's uh, uh, going to be installing some beehives. So. Yeah. Apier said he is. Good for him. And that That's is definitely it. a good place to end the, uh, the podcast. So on that buzzworthy for, note. On that buzzworthy note. For the Red, White, and Blue Flags F1 podcast, again, I'm Ryan Vasquez. And I'm Stephen McNally, and we will catch you next time across the line.